when you're up against a hostile room of people who don't want to be there, you need real strategies that get results. Welcome to From Hostage to Hero, the show that gives you practical advice you can use right now in the courtroom, boardroom, or classroom. Learn how to move your unwilling audience to one that is invested in what you're saying, eager to participate, and engaged in the process. Learn from the attorney whisperer herself, your host, Sari Delamont. Well, welcome everyone to another episode of From Hostage to Hero. Sari Delamont here with you, and I am on Zoom with two very special guests, and we're going to play with some cool concepts today. So it's an unusual podcast, and that we have an idea that came up in the crew, and instead of keeping it in the crew, we're sharing it with all of you because we think it's really amazing. And what's even more interesting is we have no idea exactly how this works, and so we're going to kind of work it out. <laughs> with you in real time. Well, I guess it's not real time when you're listening to it, but it's in real time for us right now. So with me today is coach Jody Moore, who is a coach in from Hostage Hero. She's on the faculty from Hostage Hero. And with us also today is Dave Maxfield, who is a consumer rights attorney down in California, right? No, no, <laughs> South no, Carolina, South Carolina, <laughs> totally wrong. I was a like lot of thinking... people, you know, politically get us really confused. So <laughs> that's why I knew that as it was coming out of my head, my mouth. Right. <laughs> and so um, Dave is here because he just geeked out on this and he's a terrific lawyer. And we just thought, well, let's all play with this. So thanks for being with us today. And you're going to hear more about Dave at the end of the podcast, because Dave actually has a book, not on this particular thing, but we also want you to know about Dave's book. So thanks for being here, you two. Oh, thanks. Thank, thanks for, first of all, let me tell you both, you know, like, like Kathy Bates said to James Kahn, you know, like I'm your number one fan, but I don't, you know, <laughs> this will hopefully go better than that. But uh, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. So thank you for asking me. Yeah, you're so me, welcome. Yeah, me too. I'm always excited to talk about um, H2H method. And this is a new part that we're playing with today. So I'm here to play. Well, and that's what I think is so um, fun about today is that I think most people wait until they know exactly how something works to share it with the world because they want to be seen yeah. as, quote, the expert. And I think this this is what I like doing this podcast, even outside of the H2H crew, is to show everyone outside what the crew's like on the inside, is that we're okay with playing with things and being wrong and, and trying things out. And so we wanted to model that today as well. So that's why I love that we're doing this. Okay. So let's talk about how this came about. If you are listening, we're going to try to do our best to describe it to you. If you are in a place where you can watch, this uh, podcast is also being shown on video, and I'll go to the board uh, now, actually, and talk about the model. So many of you have heard the, me talk about the model in podcasts before. It's not my model. It's the self-coaching model by Brooke Castillo, and what it stands for is a circumstance that's something that has happened, usually has happened, and circumstances are always neutral. We don't tend to think that they are, but they are. Then we've got the thought. We've got that is uh, giving us the charge or the feeling, which then fuels our actions and gets us a result. And so, come back here and chat with you for a minute going back to that knowing that that is a model that we use for coaching on how to coach ourselves meaning this thing happened i have a choice 
about how I want to think about it. And then that choice will then produce a certain uh, feeling, which will then fuel my action. And I'll get a result. Um, we thought maybe we would use this in trial. It kind of happened organically in a um, case workshop. And either Jody or Dave, why don't you share with our listeners what happened and why we got so excited about it? I can, Jody should, she knows what happened. I can tell you why I got excited. So Jody, <laughs> you, you right. want to go first? Yeah, well, we, we were working up um, a case and it happened to be a nursing home case. It wasn't my case. It was somebody else's case. And we knew that the um, outcome was that the woman had fallen and broken her neck. And we were trying to get at what made that conduct really culpable. What was reprehensible about it? What produce malice, oppression, or fraud to get at punitive damages. And so we reverse, sorry, sort of spontaneously <laughs> reverse engineered the model because we were trying to figure out what the nursing home operator was thinking and feeling in operating the nursing home that produced the action that resulted in this woman um, being found on the floor with a broken neck. And, and, and it, sort of blew all of our minds at the moment when we when we applied it to the model. So let me let me um, spotlight here and let's actually do that for a minute and then Dave can talk about his excitement. So we started with the result being a woman is lying on the floor with a broken neck. Right? Mm-hmm. And help me out here if I forget details. So then we said, what action got there? And what action did we say got there? I think in, in the workup, it was that the, nur the nursing home or the assisted living facility was like really badly understaffed. So there's nobody yep. to help her, nobody's supervisor. And um, so as and a result, she fell. Yep, understaffed nursing home. Now, if we pause here for a moment, what is the circumstance that brought us here? I think we had the circumstance was just the nursing home admission, like woman yep. in nursing home. Woman in nursing home, exactly. All right, a neutral fact on its own. She's either being admitted or she's there, but woman is in a nursing home. Great. So this is where things got really cool because then we thought mm -hmm. for this to happen, what would a person need to be feeling or thinking? So what was the thought that we came up with? I mean, I, I, there were more than one. One of them mm -hmm. was sort of like, I mean, you had multiple things. You had sort of like, there's a decision to understaff, which probably comes before that, but there's some greed potentially underlying that. But sort of this, like I got, and I don't remember exactly what we came up with, was sort of this like nonchalance or dismissiveness or like, mm -hmm. well, we like the money, but we don't like the work that much. And we, we don't, you know, there's a conscious decision that precedes the feeling, but the feeling that comes after that decision is kind of like, it's almost like nonchalance or something. I don't Yeah, I don't because know. I think I put in there, now that you're reminding me, I think I put in there, uh, they don't care. But then somebody yep. said, oh, they care. They just care about the money. Care about the wrong things. Right. They care about the wrong things. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So and one so of the, they, go ahead. One of the feelings that came out of that was apathy. Yeah, that's We had, yep, greed, that's we had greed, but we also had apathy. So, All right, so self, Dave, self talk to us about how, how, why, and why this is exciting. Well, it was exciting because, you know, we struggle with things like we in trial advocacy, you know, and I'm an 
adjunct law professor too. So, I mean, it's not easy to teach things, but you, you have like concepts like theme to me, which has always been like super slippery. And like, how do you come up with that? And where do you come up with that? And when you have, so what CTFAR, you know, like when you first introduced it back in January, probably before then, but for me in the New Year's Day thing, I was like, what's mm -hmm. that? I don't really know what that is. But when you popped it out the other day, I was like, all the like diamonds start to just fall out of the sky because you're like, thinking you know right away you've got a very understandable story you know woman comes into a nursing home hoping for the best you know she they and i'll, I'll come back to this in a second but i kind of started to do and we sort of did that day i think like well the right thought for that she should have is like i'm going to be taken care of but the wrong mm -hmm. thought is that geez i hope they're going to take care of me here i'm a little mm -hmm. concerned about that and so you kind of accept for the neutrals like the the circumstance you have like a, well, it should have gone this way, but it went this way. You have a right and a wrong for each sort of element of CTFAR. So the reason I got excited was like, once I started applying that in a couple of my own cases, like all of these things that I sort of didn't see before started to become really apparent. Like the story got really clear, mm -hmm. the, the right way and the wrong way to do things get really, got really clear. The state of mind of the actors gets really clear, which helps for both you know, defend, you know, your defendant, because the people are always going to, to really find reprehensibility, they've got to impute a bad state of mind, it can't just be the conduct. Right. Um, and then sort of like what your own client goes through all of a sudden gets really visceral. Like for me, I was like, I, di I didn't think like from the standpoint of the people who bring this case, for example, like probably the family, like, the fact that they're probably up late worrying about it all the time you know they're just they they've been worried about this person this person needs a lot of help let's put her here this looks really good and you think okay that's going to take me having to stay up all night worrying about her away but it only makes it worse and so you start mm. to think about the feelings that these people are having too that i think it's easy to gloss over if we don't go through some kind of process like this Oh, it's wonderful. Yeah, I mean, I can just see this applying to witness prep, to story creation, to all of the things. And that's one of the reasons that you were sharing with me before we got on today, Dave, that that is so exciting about using this in trial, right. or trial prep, I should say, is because you can explore all those different points of view, right? So you can say, okay, let's do a model from the point of view of the woman in the nursing home. Let's do a model from the point of view of the the people who put her there, maybe her her daughter or her son. Let's do a model mm -hmm. from the nursing home owner's point of view, right? And technically, when you're using this for self-coaching, which is what this is called, the self-coaching model, you're never supposed to get into someone else's model, <laughs> but that's because you're trying to have a great relationship with that person and not like be doing all the things that you shouldn't be doing. But here, right. as we use it as kind of an abstract concept of kind of looking at it from the outside in, I think it could be very helpful in terms of point of view. Definitely. Yeah. For, I mean, and I'll let Jody talk, but for me, it already has been, I mean, it's making a lot of things become clearer and, and just to get into that sense of play, once you start doing this really kind of from the standpoint of each of the perspectives, your, your main characters maybe would be a good way to say it, your parties and the people who are the decision makers, you get all this good stuff. And then you got all these like really good nuggets and you're like, Whoa, what am I gonna do with this? Where do I put this? And it is like, you know, one of the things I've a huge takeaway from H2H for me is like, Hey, this can be pretty fun you know? And mm, so it is, mm -hmm. it is like play. It's like, Oh, how are we going to put this together? So yeah. Yeah. It's so cool. fun. It's like the murder mystery. I think Jason Franklin was saying that in the mm -hmm. actual case workshop, he's like, Ooh, what if we started with 
a woman is on the floor broke with a broken neck, you know, dead. How did we get here, jury? Right? right. And I just loved that. And I'm not sure how we could play with that yet, except for that would be a great hook, I think, mm -hmm. in, in the opening um, as part of the impactful statement. Dave, before we go to Jody, tell me how you have used this just in the couple of weeks that we've been playing with this already. Sure. I, without getting case details, of yeah, course. Yeah, without getting some... case specific, I've taken probably four depositions since then, and I have used CTFAR. Uh, as the basis of each the preparation for each of them to sort of generate the questions I want to ask. And so and I've done it with like the right way and the wrong way and the right and, and it's not explicit to the people I'm deposing that that's what's going on because what it's doing is generating a bunch of questions that I'm sequencing hopefully in a good way otherwise. Um, and so like give me an example, run me through that. Okay, so let me think. Uh, I'm trying not to get too specific, but so we're always looking for rules, right? Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. And we're always, you know, you get them to admit to the rules or look crazy by not admitting to the rules, you know? Thank you, Rick Friedman. Yeah, that's, thank you, Rick Friedman. So we, I have a case that involves, and I do a lot of cases involving identity theft. And so I have a case where somebody has come into a car dealership pretending to be somebody else. And they have, um, you know, bought, they bought essentially about $180,000 in vehicles in another person's name in about three days. And that caused my client, who's the person who was impersonated, all kinds of problems with her credit report and with, you sure. know, having just hundreds of hours trying to sort out this mess that had the dealer had a rule that said, we better make sure we see the person's actual driver's license when they're in here signing all this stuff would have never, you know, none of this would have ever happened. Um, and so not to get too case specific, but that got me thinking, you know, the, the right thing to do is, you know, when you think about you got to, you got, I'll, I'll just take you through the first three parts. The result is you have somebody coming in saying, I'm so-and-so, right? And I'm going to buy all this stuff kind of like without negotiating and kind of like, yeah, I'm just, I'm here to, here to deal, here to buy, here to spend money. And it's hundred percent finance. None of this person's own money is going into it. So the thought the dealership would have the right thought would be, oh, my God, that's kind of suspicious. Maybe we better be more careful with this person. You know, it's COVID times, too. Everybody's wearing a mask. Maybe we should be more careful. But the thought is, it's the end of the year. It's incentives times. We're going to make a killing on this deal, mm, right? Mm -hmm. So the feeling that you want to have is caution. The feeling that you get is greed instead. And the action you get is sort of this. So let's just let, let's just let this one ride. We're not going to check into anything too hard. And so the rule that you get is kind of from that action arm, which is like, you should check to make sure the person is who they say they are, right? By checking a physical ID. And that's just- I love that. You said the result is the person coming in, but I think that's the circumstance. Yeah, I'm sorry. The circumstances- Yeah, so the, the circumstances, the person comes in to buy a car, right? So far, we're yeah. neutral. Yeah, nothing that. wrong with that. Someone comes in to buy a car two ways this can go down, right? So the, and, but, but it has some suspicious stuff in there, right? So first yeah. thought is, ooh, let's make a killing. Let's make this easy as possible. And then that creates this action. The other one is great. Let's take them through the proper channels, make sure they say they are who they say they are. And yeah. the action they take is they check the things. I love this because in your action line, that's where you find the, the, the rule, which is what you just said. How fun. Right. Yeah. And then, and then the that. result. Thanks. And, and I mean, it's, it's all you, but the and Jody <laughs> and, and the self-coaching model, which is also valuable, but the, um, 
the the result is you know you get a right result if you do things the right way none of this happens it's a it's mm. somebody gets denied they get you know minor inconvenience my clients never harm if you don't you get what happens where somebody all of a sudden some innocent person's having to spend you know a hundred hours trying to untangle this mess that you could have uh prevented in 30 seconds but what i think is also um helpful with the with the model is that because we are not just talking about the actions this is where the defense goes right you know well it was mm -hmm. an oversight they didn't mean okay they did it but they you know it just they didn't know or they were busy or whatever right is it gets us to motive it, it backs yep. us up a few steps to go wait a minute this wasn't just some thing that happened some action that would right. just happen there was there was some intent here there was some motive and so i think that's where where we can get to my question would be as we're working this out is how do we get them to either admit or how do we prove we never get them to admit it um that they actually were in fact thinking those things mm -hmm. or do we have to where where do we land on that uh i mean I'm, I'm gonna defer to jody but i'm gonna say first before i forget i don't think we ever have to get to that um and jody what do you think I think the beauty of the model is that you're going to expose the lie or expose mm. the truth mm. because you're, they're going to say, oh, I care a lot or I check everything or yes, it's really important to be thorough. They're going to say they're going to adopt the rule. That's why the rules are so um, helpful in our cases, because we contrast the rule or the right way to the actual conduct that occurred in the case. Right. And so once you contrast, well, but would somebody who really cares or would somebody who's really careful or would somebody who's putting the interests of other people, the safety of others first, really do these things? Um, and the jury draws the conclusion, no, they would not. Right. But they're drawing that conclusion based upon all of the evidence that we're putting into the record that shows that they actually didn't follow the rule. So it's the contrast of the saying saying what they think they're supposed to say so that they're politically correct and giving you the rule because it's really the contrast between these you. two right between thought and action or yeah yeah right and it doesn't it, i think what you're saying and this is what's so cool about this is that it's not even thought it's actually words like we could like take this out during trial mm -hmm. and, <laughs> and say rule, this is what yeah. they've said <laughs> and right. this is what they did Right. And this is the result we got. Now, if they had said this, what they would actually do is, you know, option B, which would have gotten us different result. Right. right. So we could really use it that way in trial. We don't have to call it the model or anything. We can say, ladies and gentlemen, let's just take a look. Actions speak louder than words, right? Just using that and mm -hmm. say, here's what they said, but what did they do? Now, if exactly. they actually were, were believing this, then what would they do? What would you expect? We can take this all the way back in voir dire. If someone said X, what kind of behavior would you expect? That's the question that came to mind, sorry, for me was what would the person have to be thinking to result in this action? Mm. Like that's mm. a that's an mm -hmm. inquiry in this exploration yes. phase, like the Dave's talking about before the deposition. What would they actually have to be thinking in order to take this action? And it's not necessarily you go into the depot expecting them to agree that they, yes, I was thinking I'm greedy, son of a gun. And right? it's just, <laughs> right. I know to produce this action that the action is following from that motive, 
the greed or profit or or doing it quicker or whatever it is. And so, and then you contrast that to, to avoid this outcome, what would they have to be thinking? Mm-hmm. You know, safety first, follow the rules. Um, or what would know, they have I, to be feeling, right? Yes. Care yeah. and, and in, 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 what's the opposite of apathy? I guess caring and, you know, and yeah. they don't need to be altruistic, but they need to be doing what, what's best for their client. Yeah, there's so many applications of how we can get to to that. And I, I agree with you. And I was asking that question because I know people are asking that question. Well, but how do I get them to say they were thinking this? We don't have to. We just have to show <laughs> that this doesn't match this. There's cognitive dissonance here, right? You yeah. can't get this result without them thinking of this, right? You can't be thinking I care about people and still do these things. Right. Yeah. I think you never get that Matlock moment. You know, I don't think we need it. Like where it's like, mm-hmm. I admit it, I did it. I did I buried the body here and it would have got away with it if it weren't for these meddling kids or but you all you know, came yeah. became Laura's thinking you could get we that all thought that we were gonna yeah. get those moments and we never and they never happened, but you, you don't need it because it's if the jury comes up with the thought and the feeling themselves, like Jody asked a great question a second ago, is like why do you think that they would do that? What do you think they were feeling when this mm-hmm. happened or when they mm-hmm. made the decision to do this and the jury i think is going to supply their own motive which is way better than anything we suggest to them because they came absolutely. up with themselves. absolutely absolutely um, and we can start with that in voir dire right mm-hmm. if someone says this what would you expect them to do right and then we can in closing say they said this but look at what they did right so we kind of there's our trial dialogue again that's great yeah 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 uh, Jody, you had other ways that we could put this. So far, we've talked about different ways of looking at different points of view. We've talked about it here in terms of contrasting it with um, what they said and what they did. Uh, we've talked about it at getting at motive. So there's three or four things right there. But you also talked about it in one of the H2H concepts that we use a lot called the designed alliance. Yes, I when you first did this model and applied it to, you know, a trial scale, it occurred to me that this is um, a parallel or a sister principle to the Designed Alliance. So in the Designed Alliance and voir dire, um, we're standing up in front of the jury and we're saying, you know, you probably have your own ideas about how jury selection is going to go and you think I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions and then I get to decide if you're the right fit for this case or if I want you here and I don't like to do it that way. And it occurs to me that we can use the um, thought line of the CTFA model to put ourselves in the point of view of the juror. So jurors who are coming sort of grumbling and dreading and resenting that they have to be there, um, one, we're sort of meeting them where they're at, but by the process of how we're conducting the voir dire with the Designed Alliance, we're hoping to create a different thought, which is by the end of talking about the principles in the case, we have some enrollment where the jury is saying, no, this is the kind of case that I would be interested in. These principles are important to me. I do want to be here. And we've actually changed the thought line from sort of dread and obligation to enthusiasm or excitement, or at least open-mindedness and curiosity. Mm-hmm. Well, let's, and- let's actually play that out. I sure. love that. So when we've got the... Um- the circumstance and jury selection in both cases. But so, sorry, one moment. I hate to interrupt, but you're, we're still looking at your empty chair. Oh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> All, All right. right. 
jury selection. All right. So in in the current thinking, right, when they come in the door is what? I don't want to be here. I don't want to right. be here. Yeah. Basically, that sums it up. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What's the feeling? I really don't want to be here. Yeah. Just no, <laughs> dread. Uh, yeah. Dread. This annoyed. Is, mm -hmm. Uncertainty, yeah. maybe a little. Yep. You know, what's going to happen? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. And when they feel those things, what's the action? Mm, close up, get protective. Close up or try to get out of it, right? Try to get out of it. Not going to talk or try to get out of it. This is what we see all the time, right? Yep. And what's the result? You don't get. Uh, don't Jody, you say this ineffective idea. No one's talking. Mm -hmm. No resonant conversation. Um, bad jury, ultimately. Yep. Absolutely. All right. So the circumstance always stays the same when you do another model. So what we're hoping to change their thinking to is what? What do we want them to think when we use the Designed Alliance? They're here by choice. They mm. want to be here. I get to choose. Mm -hmm. So what feeling does that create? Uh, uh, autonomy, not autonomy exactly, but uh, certainly some security that they're in control. Yeah. I would say autonomy, but also I would say um, curiosity. Yeah. Like, oh, I get to decide. Well, let me hear a little more then. Let me right. see what this is about, right? There's a little bit more engagement there, right? So the action I think is what? Talking. Engaging. Engagement. Yep. Mm -hmm. And the result is a more effective wadir and a better jury panel. Yes. Yes, for sure. So what's interesting about this um, is that, and we talk about this all the time in, in um, we talk about this all the time in H2H is that we can rewire our brains, right? But this here, we can also help change literally the chemistry of the juror's brain. So we talk about in jury selection that scarf is at play and their their brain is under attack so the minute that we do the design the design is our action actually and it creates a thought of safety and security right mm -hmm. and that feeling of safety and security so that they will be talkative and engagement so our design creates a different thought for them instead of coming in with the hokey jokes and all the things <laughs> Yeah, and I would say I want to be kind of clear because this model can be tricky when you're first hearing about it or learning it. Like, well, how do I change a juror's thoughts? Like, I want to make sure that listeners aren't thinking, well, I'm going to go in and tell the jury what they should think or feel. Right. That is not the point, right? Nope. And so the, the beauty, I think, of the exercise of the model and kind of how Dave took it to the next level is it's kind of, um, it's an instrument to empathize with whoever you're talking to. It's putting yourself mm. in the shoes so that you can come at this, this problem you're trying to solve, you know, getting a jury to open up, getting a witness to be honest about the rules, whatever the problem might be, so you can have a, a deeper, more honest conversation about it. So it's really, again, it's still sort of self-coaching for me because it's putting, it's, it's telling me, how do I put myself in the shoes of the person that I'm about to talk to, 
to get the most out of this conversation, whether it's an adverse deposition, jury selection process, it might be communicating with a judge, it might be talking to opposing counsel, but it's mm -hmm. this um, technique, I think, that gets us to that empathy with what is the other person's point of view. And from standing in that point of view, how do I drive the point that I'm trying to make right through it so that I'm embracing it and not resisting it? Well, and I think it too, because when we're, when we think about that, right, I keep having to pin this, sorry, <laughs> and then I keep forgetting. So hold on. You're going to get your uh, steps in though. I am. Okay. But I'm thinking is, is I love that if you do the model of kind of like where they are, I mean, this could be cross-exam and then your witness is thinking, mm -hmm. shit, I hope I don't say anything that, <laughs> you know, ruins the case. Right. But then that creates a feeling. For, juror, for jurors, you know, their feeling is dread, annoyed, and uncertainty, and, and fear. As we said, the, the jury selection creates a fear response. So not only does it help you see from that where they are at, but it also gives you the remedy in many cases. If I know that jurors are scared, mm -hmm. then I can do, I should have put it up there, something that I hope will alleviate that. In our case, it's the designed alliance. And that may change their thinking, it may not, but I know that I'm at least speaking to what they're feeling. So I think in that way, that's how we don't change their mind, but we identify what, the, what they're feeling, what they're, where, where they're at emotionally, and then we try to remedy that if we can. Yes? Yes. Can, can I throw out something crazy or it might be yeah. crazy? So Do it. This is what we're here for. <laughs> so we're here for. So. I love like repurposing things and, and trying to take things from one place and try to use them someplace else. And so that's why I think that's why what you guys did appealed to me so much. But I also wonder and started to wonder as I use this for depot prep, if not, if scarf doesn't have some place there too, in that since what you're really trying to do sometimes it just sort of depends on the witness. I mean, some people have the philosophy we're trying to intimidate the daylights out of this witness, but I, I sort of am a more flies with honey try you know hopefully person and i think that i wonder if scarf could get a a, a deponent certainly a neutral one more comfortable so that they open up more like using uh, almost like a yeah. designed alliance in a way with a deponent yeah yeah absolutely i think so so again we're talking about the scarf model which i think people started getting confused when we were doing this the other day and and oh my god you guys can get up again here i go all right um <laughs> Good thing we've send, got. send more acronyms. Yes, exactly. So um, the, the SCARF model is from David Rock. You go back to the very early podcast that I talk a lot about this there, but the basic gist is our brain is either rewarded or punished based on these five factors. So what our status is, right? Our certainty how much certainty we have, how much autonomy we have, how much relatedness we are feeling, and if we think the person or, or situation is fair. And so I totally agree with you, uh, Dave, because if we, if we have a person that we are interviewing or interrogating, or however you wanna say it in any way, um, we want them to feel like they're important, that you know that this is how the process is going to go they've they've got they can maintain their dignity their autonomy we're not the bad guy because we are more likely to get more out of them if that is the case right we start to antagonize them they just like jurors 
they're going to shut down and we're not going to get anywhere. And I'm not saying you should be manipulative and be like all swarmy here, but I think that the more we treat them and their brains and get them out of the attack place, right? So they're not in fight or flight, the more likely we're going to get what we need from them. Yes? Yeah. I, th- I mean, part of what you're doing in a deposition sometimes, I take a lot of 30B6s and I like, and a lot of it is like, you're trying to get them to agree with certain things, you know, rules, yes. certainly, you know, but, and, and so I don't know, maybe that I think there are people who, who can take a sort of hostile deposition and be really effective at that. But I think for certainly for neutral witnesses and most witnesses, not doing that is, is better you know they answer more questions they answer questions with longer with paragraphs instead of yes it's better for you too you're not feeling like you're in fight or flight and you know when i when i read or when i teach on leadership i always want to talk about power which is basically what you just said like a hostile like takeover kind of situation i said here's the thing about leadership leaders can go to power Mm -hmm. no problem but they won't go there unless they need to that's great yeah right they've got Mm -hmm. it in their arsenal but they're not going to do it unless they have to do it. Right. Yeah. So I, I feel like that's the, and Randy McGinn would absolutely agree. I mean, she's just, she is just, you know, she is a badass, but she is just buttery on cross. She's like, <laughs> the light was green. Wasn't it? And they're like, no, no, no. She's like, the light. and then they keep going, no, 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 no. And she'll go, are you saying the light was red? Right. <laughs> and they're like, well, no, I'm not saying it was red. I mean, she's just beautiful on cross. So I agree with you. The more we have somebody breathing and not in fight or flight and, and really just processing, I think it's better for us. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And less stressful for us too, probably. Absolutely. Like Much easier yeah. on you. Well, it's yeah. so funny. We just had our, our webinar today with um, John Bailey, who won the $120 million verdict. It was so great. It was such a great webinar because you know, everyone's just like, okay, what did you, like, how did you come up with that number? He's like, hmm, it felt right. Well, how did, how did you, how did you um, communicate that to the jury? I just told them that it felt right. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, you know, well, how was this trial for you? It was, it was fun, right? I, I think we think, you know, to get something that big, we've got to be really working hard. Really, yeah. And what I'm finding from all of the trial debrief webinars we've been doing is people finally, when they release and let go, and have fun and trust, then the verdict just flies in. You, you yeah. had, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but you, I just want to say, you had a couple guys on, uh, and I can't remember who it was who did a debrief, and they were talking about what was different when they went through sort of with the method, you know, or the mindset the right way of exactly what you're talking about. And they're like, what did, what did you do? Ah, oh, well, you know, we didn't stay up till 2 a.m. We got up, you know, we went to bed normal times. We got up, we went to the gym the next morning. And then we, yep, yep. you know, it was, was kind of like, we treated it like it was a normal thing and we didn't blow our routines crazy. And, and so I, this is too much information, but I got one of these aura rings now where you yeah, can start I, to I see, oh my gosh, mm-hmm. the effect of like what that does to you when you stay up till 2 a.m., get ready for mm-hmm. something. And you see what it looks like the next day and you're like, and you realize how much more effective you are if you are normal and chill and you stick to your routine and you do the things that, and that's another topic, but uh, I, I, I can't agree more with, with that. Thank you for that. Jody. any final thoughts or either of you, any final thoughts on CTFAR? Well, I, I just will chime in on this last part, which is, I think goes back to what was the original design of the model, right? The mm. original design of the model was the self-coaching and I think that when we're approaching 
trials or an adverse deposition, something that we think is going to be particularly contentious, holding on to the fear, like, what if I don't mm. ask the right question? What if I don't get the hit? Or I'm going to trial? What if I don't win? Like, I think mm. if we, we took a poll, an informal poll of every, you know, litigator's biggest fear, it's losing. And so the model um, originally, at least for me, and I think for, for many people comes into play there right? Which is um, the outcome that I want. I can change the outcome by changing my thoughts. And so my, my, if my thought is, I can't lose this trial, there's so much writing on it. What if I screw up this depot? Whatever those thoughts might be, they're producing fear, angst, anxiety, worry. And the action is hypervigilance, overwork, staying up till two o'clock in the morning. And the result is sort of this frenetic, panicked, you know, depot, trial, whatever. Contrast that to I've got trial and my thought is I'm excited. I'm excited. Mm -hmm. I'm engaged. I'm curious. I'm open. Um, this is going to be fun. And now my my actions are going to come from, you know, what can I try? What can I play with? What's new for me here? What what dance can I do with this witness? And that surrender is producing the result. And the result, capital R result, is not necessarily the win, although we mm -mm. love the win. Mm -hmm. But it's getting through that trial without staying up till two in the morning and overeating or under exercising or feeling that frenetic anxiety throughout the process. So uh, we've come Absolutely. full circle a little bit, but that's no, my, I think that's, that's wonderful. Leg. Well, if John Bailey can get 120 million on a wrongful death case where the guy fell asleep behind the wheel, so there's no malicious intent, right? <laughs> in Texas, in a small little community, in a week and a half trial, and still go to sleep at normal times, and still have other people handle parts of trial for him, and just trust the jury that anybody can, anybody can. Uh, Dave, I will. I would be remiss if I missed this opportunity to have you tell everyone listening um, both that you have a book and what you think about the crew. So you can tell us either one. Oh, sure. Well, um, I could go on for the second thing for a really long time. Um, but I'll tell you about the book. So I, I wrote a book with my friend, Larry Port, who started a software company that lawyers use called Rocket Matter. And uh, the book is called The Lean Law Firm. And what it's about is we've taken, you know, for people ask questions about, oh, hey, you run a law firm, you know, what do you, what, what are some good things to do? And I mentioned, I like stealing good ideas from other places. And so we took things like the Toyota production system and the way that Intel runs thing, and we took sort of lean and agile principles and brought them into the to the law firm, you know, as a, as a way to run a really a plaintiff's practice primarily. Uh, and it's the thing that's kind of cool about it is it's a, it's a novel in part. It tells a story. There's a character. He's kind of got to save this firm that's kind of spiraling down, even though everybody's really talented. And uh, it's also a, a graphic novel. The ABA who published it let us do a the first graphic novel for lawyers. <laughs> so it's so got a cool. lot of like comic book panels and stuff. It's really accessible and it's pretty fun read. And uh, it's on trial guides too, which is where you should get it if you're going to get it someplace. And it's on Audible. You can get an Audible. We got a great voice actor that does all the voices and it's really cool. And I just nice. love stuff like that. So thank great. you for so, letting me plug that. Yeah, I'll we'll drop that in the show notes too, the Lean Law Firm. Yeah, thank you. And I'll, let yeah. me plug the H, the hostage to here, uh, Krubies, everything. Um, you know, when you get into it, you're like, well, I, it, and it's not like a lot of money in an absolute sense, but it's like, that's, you know, 
hope this works. I know, sorry, I really like everything she does. I love the book, you know, but I don't know what this is going to be like. And, and it quickly becomes like the most no brainer, best money you ever spend. I mean, it's mm. like, I'm doing all this and I have this community, you know, which for a solo practitioner like me is especially amazing because, you know, it's like, oh, I've got this, these giant brains to bounce all these things off of. It's, it's incredible. I mean, it is, uh, it has been, you know, life-changing in a number of ways. One of them, I think, is that it just takes this thing that's stressful that you worry about. You know, Jody says we worry about the loss, but I think it's that we worry about how we're going to feel about ourselves if we lose mm-hmm. more than that's like, because if you ever, exactly it, yeah, you try a case, you leave everything on the field and you go, I did a good job and I lost. I found when that happens, you don't feel bad about it. Cause it's like, I did a pretty good job. You know, I did mm-hmm. everything that I could do. And, um, you know, if we're trying hard cases, sometimes that's, that's gotta happen. Um, but, uh, just the shift of making things like fun and playful. Um, I've enjoyed every minute of it and I've enjoyed getting ready for trial because of it, so. Oh, that's wonderful. And Jody had said, you come for the trial skills, you stay for the community. So Absolutely. I love that. I love and the that. coffee. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and you can uh, get some consulting. So get get Dave's book. You can get some consulting with Coach Jody. That will be up on our website very soon. But I, I think as of today or tomorrow, um, but Jody is available for half day and two day trial consults. Um, the two day includes a virtual mock jury. So if you need some help, you can reach out to us and, and connect with Jody that way. Well, thank you two for being here and kind of playing with this. I think even though we didn't know what the heck and where we were going with it, I think we came up with some really great stuff that people can start using right away. Yes. Thanks for having us. This was fun. Yeah. Yeah, It's an honor. Thank you. Yeah. Talk soon, everybody. Thanks for joining me today. If you benefited from what we talked about or just want to let me know you enjoy the podcast, go ahead and leave me a review on whichever platform you use to listen to From Hostage to Hero. Add a comment and I just might give you a shout out on an upcoming episode. In the meantime, head over to FromHostageToHero.com to order your copy of my book, From Hostage to Hero, Captivate the Jury by Setting Them Free. And to get on my mailing list, I send out trial tips and encouragement right to your inbox every single week. And while you're there, make sure you join the waitlist to become an H2H crew member when we reopen. We only open a few times each year and you do not want to miss out. I look forward to our time together in next week's episode. Talk then.